Welcome to Everyday Health Simplified. I'm Elisa Poole, ex-teacher turned health enthusiast. Each episode, you get bite-sized pieces of nutrition and mindset education so that you can be empowered to take the next step on your wellness journey. Well, hello and welcome back. Last week, we talked about water, and this week, we're going to discuss some drinks that can either help you or hurt you in your quest for wellness. Caffeine and alcohol. They are highly controversial subjects for various reasons. I'm guessing, first, it's because people like to do what they want, and anything they have to limit makes them put up their dukes and get ready to fight. Don't tell me what I can or cannot have. Thank you very much. Secondly, both caffeine and alcohol do have addictive properties. So there actually might be some addiction happening that's causing the resistance. And third, there is often a social element and or a piece of like a really established routine affected when we talk about removing either one of those, right? And that causes emotional freak out. (laughs) How many of you like to have a glass of wine in the evening while you're cooking or maybe your coffee or tea in the morning, right? So perhaps because we feel so closely connected to these two drinks, it's hard for us to look objectively at them. But that's exactly what I invite you to do today. Become educated in the realm of caffeine and alcohol, and then make informed choices that you can enjoy, whether that means drinking them or not. So which should we start with, caffeine or alcohol? I'm going to start with caffeine since at least chronologically, that's what many people start their days drinking. At least I'm hoping it's not alcohol first thing in the morning. All right, so here is a fun fact and a huge myth about caffeine. You ready? Caffeine does not give you energy. What? Right then, you were like Bruno Mars. Hey, 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 oh, stop. Wait a minute. Fill my cup. Put some coffee in it. But Elisa, that's not true, you're thinking. That's why everybody drinks caffeine, to get energy. But caffeine actually has nothing to do with making energy. Your body makes energy inside your mitochondria, and caffeine does not increase the output of that cellular energy production. How caffeine works is by tricking your body into not knowing that it's tired. You see, your body produces a molecule called adenosine which interacts with your cell receptors in the body, and it sends signals to start getting drowsy. When your cell receptors get full of adenosine, your body shifts into a rest mode. Caffeine can actually fit into those cell receptors because it's structurally very similar to adenosine. And when it does that, when it fills up those receptors, they get full, but not of adenosine. And when they're full of adenosine, your body knows to rest. But when they're full of caffeine, your brain and your body keep on going and you don't realize you're tired or that you need rest. Your body is still producing adenosine, but it never gets metabolized. So things get overworked since they're not getting the signals to rest and recover. Make sense? So the problem with caffeine is that it has a half-life of five to eight hours depending on how well your body metabolizes it. That means after five or eight hours, your body still has half of the caffeine from the original beverage still circulating in your system. So as an example, if you drink 200 milligrams at 8 a.m., 
you still have 100 milligrams of your caffeine in your body around 2 p.m. And then if you have another 200 milligrams at 2 p.m., then you have over 100 milligrams of caffeine circulating at 10 p.m., which is exactly when your body needs to be winding down. This does play a significant role in your sleep quality, in case you're wondering. Studies show that even if you're getting the quantity of sleep that you need, you're actually not getting into the normal stages of REM or deep sleep with caffeine in your system. Caffeine provokes cortisol and adrenaline, both of which are active hormones, not rest hormones, since it also inhibits those body receptors of adenosine, which is what sends us into rest mode, with caffeine, you just don't sense your sleepiness. And because of that half-life, you can have a substantial amount of caffeine in your system when it's bedtime. Now, just because we don't want a ton of caffeine in our systems doesn't mean that those beverages with caffeine in them don't also offer other benefits. They do. Both coffee and tea seem to reduce the risk of diabetes and may even help guard against neurological diseases. These studies are not proof that they do, but they do suggest there are benefits when enjoyed in moderate doses. So if you drink coffee or tea, use organic to limit your pesticide exposure because those also impact our hormones. Also, store your coffee and tea away from heat and light. Specifically in tea, Caffeine levels are highest in black tea, moderate in green and oolong, and lowest in white teas. All teas have varying levels of antioxidants, and several have been shown to help metabolism. In fact, green tea has been shown in a meta-analysis of studies to slightly help with weight loss, around two to four additional pounds. Hey, you'll take what you can get, right? So you can enjoy your coffee or tea hot or cold and can always experiment with adding flavor using spices like cinnamon or vanilla pods, ginger or mint, or even add things like orange or lemon peel to your tea. Herbal teas like chamomile, ruibos, those are actually not teas, but they still have wonderful benefits, especially for calming digestion and sleeping, things like that. So what do you do if you want to keep enjoying those caffeinated beverages? Well, one tip is to set a caffeine curfew. No more caffeine after 1 or 2 p.m. because of that half-life. I actually implemented this several years ago, and I drink my last caffeinated beverage by 2.30 p.m. at the latest, and that caffeinated beverage is usually from green tea or green tea extract. Another tip is to lower your caffeine intake by four to eight ounces daily until you're down to two cups. So ways to lower your caffeine intake is simply lowering the volume, right? But you could also try a softer source. Now I have no idea if this is scientifically proven, but the way that I remember it is, the darker the color, the stronger the caffeine content. Because coffee has the most, and then black tea has less than coffee, green tea has less than black tea, and white tea has less than green tea. Okay, so lighter in color, lighter in caffeine. If you are a person who gets headaches when you remove caffeine, you're like most of us. <laughs> that happens because caffeine causes something called vasoconstriction, which is a narrowing or tightening of your blood vessels. If you stop having caffeine, then you get a shock from vasodilation, which is an instant widening of the blood vessels. 
Blood now is flowing freely where it didn't have that movement before, and this is mostly felt in the head and the neck area, causing those headaches. So exercise and drinking water really helps too. So be intentional about drinking your caffeine and use it when you need a boost for a project, but not all day long or in the afternoon, okay? Let's shift to alcohol. Alcohol has multiple effects on our health. You likely already know how hard it is on your liver, which is kind of an important organ because it performs over 500 bodily functions like filtering your blood, metabolizing your blood sugar, and getting rid of toxins. It's kind of important to keep that organ healthy. (laughs) You may also have heard that alcoholic drinks are full of what's called empty calories. And they're called this because per gram, Alcohol has around seven calories, which is less only than fat, which has nine calories, but it's in a liquid form that does not have any other nutrients that could actually benefit your metabolism, like omega-3 fats, for instance. Hugely beneficial. These calories from alcohol do not get stored, but they do impact your metabolism because alcohol has two detrimental functions. One It stops the burning of stored fat because it can be used as fuel instead, and it blocks leptin, which is your appetite suppressant. So we tend to make poor food choices when we're drinking, and we're blocking fat from being burned at the same time. Second thing that alcohol does is affects your gut health and your microbiome. And studies have shown that there are microbiome imbalances that are much higher in heavy drinkers, and they have higher amounts of pathogenic bacteria, the bad kind, but lower levels of the good bacteria that supports your metabolism and gut health. Now, alcohol also affects your sleep. Your REM sleep is significantly disrupted by alcohol in your system. You need REM sleep because that's when your memory processing happens. If your REM sleep is off, your memory and health can suffer. Alcohol also throws off the body's balance of fatigue and wakefulness, just like caffeine. Remember adenosine, that molecule that makes us feel drowsy? Well, it plays a part here too. Alcohol actually leads to higher concentrations of adenosine, and that means you're sleepy and you feel it. However, it's an unnatural increase of adenosine, and your body knows that, and it throws off your sleep homeostasis as your body tries to figure it out and get rid of the excess. It keeps your sleep much below normal REM sleep, and then it pushes it above normal REM sleep, so your body actually never enters REM sleep when you've been drinking. Did you know that binge drinking can actually throw off your melatonin levels for a week? Crazy, right? And alcohol also increases breathing issues, especially while sleeping. Now, the negative side effects of alcohol on sleep impact both men and women, but studies show they have even more of an impact on women. Ladies, turns out we can metabolize alcohol's sedative effects more quickly than men, which means women wake up more, stay awake longer, and sleep less overall. There are many reasons that alcohol is damaging to your body, of course, more than your sleep. It's also a known neurotoxin, and it's a diuretic, a natural diuretic, which means when you drink alcohol, there, are, there is four times more liquid being eliminated than usual, which is why dehydration is so common and a big reason why you get headaches. So if you really enjoy beer, wine, or cocktails, here are some suggestions. Swap out 
late night drinks or going out late at night for going out at happy hour, okay? That gives your body at least a few hours to metabolize the alcohol before bedtime. Red wine, up to two regular glasses, is what's shown in studies to be helpful to your gut bacteria. So you can enjoy a glass with dinner, especially if you finish dinner two to three hours before bedtime. Additionally, those two glasses of red wine or even beer don't seem to affect insulin levels too much. Another great idea is to have eight ounces of water for each alcoholic beverage you have, no matter what it is, to help rehydrate the body and flush the toxins out. So I'm not saying that you can never enjoy coffee or alcoholic drinks. I mean, I enjoy them too on occasion. What I am saying is that the tune you want to be singing is like Boys to Men from Motown Philly. Coffee cocktails going on, not too late and not too strong, right? That's what we're going for here. All right, so hopefully these two weeks have helped you up your hydration levels and be in charge and make intentional choices for your everyday health. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. I would love and appreciate your reviews and, of course, sharing this podcast with someone you love. So see you next week, everybody. Keep practicing your health every day. Bye-bye. Hey.